Lesson 6 for April 30 through to May 6, 2006, Resting in Christ. Sabbath afternoon, April 30. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you at the beginning of this week as we open your word, and we want to thank you that Jesus is always there with his arms outstretched, asking each of us who are weary and burdened to come to him. As we open your word this week, we pray that it will speak to us and that your Holy Spirit will guide us to understand more of what we need to know about the lovely Jesus. We pray in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's read that again. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Christ was a living representative of the law. No violation of its holy precepts was found in his life. Looking upon a nation of witnesses who were seeking occasion to condemn him, he could say unchallenged, Which of you convicteth me? Of sin. And that's a quote from page 287 of The Desire of Ages. Jesus' life fully reflected the meaning of God's law, the Ten Commandments. He was the law of God lived out in humanity, in human flesh. Thus, by studying his life, we learn what keeping the commandments is like and how to keep the commandments in a way that is not a dry and spiritless legalism. And of course, among those commandments is the fourth, the seventh-day Sabbath. This week, as we continue our study of Matthew, we'll look at a few of the Sabbath controversies and see in a life of Jesus a manifestation of what it means to keep the Sabbath. For, if the law is indeed a reflection of the character of God, and if Jesus embodied that law, then by learning how he kept the fourth commandment and what he taught about it, we can learn more about the character of God and, even more important, how we can reflect that character in our lives. Sunday, May 1, The Light Yoke of Christ In Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 27, Jesus begins with a powerful rebuke to some of the cities in Galilee that rejected his ministry. Let's have a look at those verses, Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For... If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day." But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, 
and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. What makes the rebuke and his warning of condemnation so frightening is that these cities had been given great opportunities to know the truth. He, the truth, as revealed in John 14.6, had walked in the flesh among them, and if that wasn't enough, he had performed many mighty works, as it says in Matthew 11.20, there as well, and yet they refused to repent. Indeed, he said that if the mighty works of Matthew 11.23 he had done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, then it would have remained until this day. In other words, they were worse than the Sodomites. Right after that, in verses 25 to 27, Jesus starts praying to the Father, thanking him and then talking about the close relationship between the two. And he also acknowledges all that had been given him by the Father, in a sense showing even more clearly why his rejection by those cities was so tragic. Question. Read Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. What is Jesus saying here, and why should it come right here, just after what he had just said? Matthew 11, beginning at verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. After denouncing unbelief and reaffirming his closeness with the Father, Jesus offers everyone who is weary rest in him. In other words, he is telling the people not to make the mistake these others made by rejecting him. He has the authority and power to do what he says, and he says that by coming to him you will find rest for your souls. Given the context, that rest would include peace, assurance of salvation, and hope that those who reject him don't and can't have. What else does Jesus mean when he says he will give us rest? Does it mean laziness? Does it mean anything goes? Of course not. Jesus has a very high standard for us. We saw this in his Sermon on the Mount. But a relationship with Jesus is not intended to wear us out. By learning of him, by emulating him and his character, we can find a rest from many of the toils and troubles of life. And as we will see, one expression of that rest is found in keeping the Sabbath. So to finish today, how do you experience the promise Jesus offers here? What does being gentle and lowly have to do with bearing a light burden? Monday, May 2, Unrest Over a Rest Day If, as so much of the Christian world argues, the Seventh-day Sabbath was abolished, replaced, superseded, fulfilled, whatever, then why did Jesus spend so much time dealing with how to keep the Sabbath? Question. 
read the following verses, what are the issues under contention in these scenes, and what are not the issues? First of all, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And the next one is Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through to 6. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. And Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through to 28. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And John chapter 5, verses 9 through to 16. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Knowing that one of the reasons Israel had gone into Babylonian captivity was because the nation had defiled the Sabbath, the Pharisees had wanted to prevent that from happening again. Hence, they created a whole litany of rules and regulations about what was and what was not acceptable on the Sabbath, with the idea of protecting its sanctity. What were some of these rules? Well, if a hen lays an egg on the Sabbath, is it okay to eat it? The majority opinion of the Pharisees was that if the hen was an egg-laying hen, then it was not okay to eat an egg laid on Sabbath because the hen was working. However, if a hen was not an egg-laying hen, if it was just a hen being fattened up to be eaten, then it was okay to eat the egg because this wasn't the hen's primary labour. There was also a suggestion that he could eat an egg laid on Sabbath by a laying hen, 
as long as you later killed the hen for breaking the Sabbath. Another one. Is it okay to look at yourself in a mirror on Sabbath? The answer, no. Because if you see a grey hair, you might be tempted to pluck it. And this would be reaping, and as such, a violation of the Sabbath. Another one. If your house catches fire on Sabbath, is it okay to go salvage your clothes? The answer? You should carry out only one set of clothing. However, if you put on one set of clothing, then you may carry out another set. By the way, if your home catches fire, it's not okay to ask a Gentile to put out the fire. But, if the Gentile is putting out the fire anyway, that's okay. And the final one. Is it okay to spit on Sabbath? The answer? You may spit on a rock, but you may not spit on the ground, because that would be making mud or mortar. To finish today, we might laugh, but in our own way, how might we avoid doing the same thing? Not just in regard to the Sabbath, but in regard to every aspect of our faith. That is, losing sight of what is truly important, and focusing instead on the trivial. Tuesday, May 3, Jesus' Response This was the climate that Jesus was ministering in. Rigid impossibilities required for Sabbath-keeping that ruined the original purpose of the Sabbath. It was to be a day to rest from our work, a day to worship God and fellowship with other believers in ways that we cannot do during the work week. A day when kids knew their parents would be more available to them than they might have otherwise been. A day to especially rejoice in what has been done for us by our Creator and our Redeemer. Question. Read Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, and see how Jesus responds to the heavy yoke of the Pharisees. Also look at 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through to 6. What is Jesus' line of reasoning here? Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God, and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple." But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Elimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. 
And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Jesus was telling them, what he would later say in a much stronger manner in Matthew 23, verses 23 to 24, and that is for them to focus on what is really important. Let's look at those verses, Matthew 23, verses 23 to 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus recounts the familiar story of the fugitive David taking bread from the tabernacle that was supposed to be eaten by priests only. In that situation, the hunger of David and his companions was more important than was a tabernacle ritual intended for another purpose. In the same way, the hunger of Jesus' followers was more important than Sabbath guidelines about reaping, intended for another purpose. Jesus also cites the work of the priests in the temple on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath allowed for the work of ministry. In the same way, the Sabbath allows for the work of Jesus' companions because Jesus and his work were greater than the temple. Nothing Jesus said here or anywhere else in regard to keeping the Sabbath lessened in any way the divine command that we keep it. He was trying to break them free, not from the Sabbath, but from meaningless rules that hid what the Sabbath was supposed to be about. And that is the expression of the rest that we have in Christ as our Creator and our Redeemer. And so to finish today, we have a sentence from The Desire of Ages, page 284. In the days of Christ, the Sabbath had become so perverted that its observance reflected the character of selfish and arbitrary men rather than the character of the loving Heavenly Father. End of quote. Look at your actions and ask yourself what you could do to make sure that they reflect the character of our loving Heavenly Father more than they do the character of self and arbitrariness. Wednesday, May 4, Healing on the Sabbath. It's very interesting to read through the Gospels and see all the times that the writers recorded the Sabbath incidents between Jesus and the religious leaders. Why would all four Gospel writers include, in some cases, numerous accounts of the struggle that Jesus had with the leaders over Sabbath keeping if the Sabbath were about to be abolished? This point becomes even more salient when we remember that the Gospels are written down many years after the ministry of Jesus. 
though scholars are divided over the exact dates, most place them at least 20 to 30 years after the death of Jesus. Thus, by then, if the seventh-day Sabbath had been replaced by Sunday, that's one common argument, this change is certainly not hinted at in any of the inspired accounts of Jesus' life. Thus, we have powerful evidence that the seventh-day Sabbath was not abolished, changed, or superseded, at least certainly not by any example or command of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. On the contrary, if we focus on Jesus' commands and example, the Gospel shows us the continued validity of the seventh-day Sabbath. Question. Read Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through to 14. What is the issue here, and why would that be another cause for contention? Matthew 12, beginning at verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. From the book Desire of Ages, page 286, I read, Upon another Sabbath, as Jesus entered a synagogue, he saw there a man who had a withered hand. The Pharisees watched him, eager to see what he would do. The Saviour well knew that in healing on the Sabbath he would be regarded as a transgressor, but he did not hesitate to break down the wall of traditional requirements that barricaded the Sabbath. It was a maxim among the Jews that a failure to do good when one had opportunity was to do evil. To neglect to save life was to kill. Thus, Jesus met the rabbis on their own ground. End of quote. Again, as in the previous Sabbath incident, Jesus was seeking to point people to the higher purpose of the law, to the higher purpose of what the life of faith is all about. These men would have been content to leave that man with his pain and suffering rather than violate their own man-made rules regarding the Sabbath, which had gotten so twisted that, though they would have pulled an ox out of a ditch on the Sabbath, they would not relieve a fellow human being suffering. How careful we need to be in making sure that our practice of faith does not get in the way of living our faith in the ways that God has called us to. Thursday, May 5, Keeping the Sabbath As should be clear from the Gospel records, Jesus didn't abolish the Sabbath. If anything, he restored the Sabbath, freeing it from the cumbersome burdens people had placed on it. Hundreds of years later, Christians were still resting and worshipping on Sabbath. The 5th century historian Socrates Scholasticus wrote, 
almost all churches throughout the world celebrated the sacred mysteries, the Lord's Supper, on the Sabbath of every week. Yet the Christians of Alexandria and at Rome, on account of some ancient tradition, refused to do this. That's from the Ecclesiastical History Book 5, page 289. No question, whatever the reasons, all these incidents were recorded in the Gospels. It wasn't to point anyone away from the Sabbath. Question. Read again Matthew chapter 12, verse 12, and focus on the phrase, Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What does that mean in the immediate context that Jesus was addressing, and what does that also tell us that Sabbath-keeping should include? Matthew 12, verse 12, Oh, how much more value then is a man than a sheep! Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Though Jewish law did permit giving medical attention on the Sabbath to a person whose life was in danger, Jesus took it further. Healings, perhaps even healings that could be done on another day, are permitted on the Sabbath. With all this in mind, look at what Jesus said later in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. Therefore, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasure as well as old. No question, Jesus was clearly bringing out new treasures as well. And so, to finish today, let's read Isaiah chapter 58 verses 7 through to 13. How does what is expressed here help reflect what it means to truly follow the Lord and to live out the principles of the law, including the Sabbath? And how do we understand the phrase, repairer of the breach, especially in the context of the three angels' messages? Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail." Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from my Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honourable, and shall honour him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking, your own words. Friday, May 6. With or without religion, someone said, 
you would have good people doing good things and evil people doing evil things. But for good people to do evil things, that takes religion. In the 1600s, French mystic Blaise Pascal famously warned men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Though they are somewhat overstated, there is unfortunately some truth in these sentiments. This truth can be seen in the context of the week's lesson in regard to the Pharisees and the Sabbath. As Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 287, when Jesus turned upon the Pharisees with the question whether it was lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, he confronted them with their own wicked purposes. They were hunting his life with bitter hatred, while he was saving life and bringing happiness to multitudes. Was it better to slay upon the Sabbath, as they were planning to do, than to heal the afflicted, as he had done? Was it more righteous to have murder in the heart upon God's holy day than love to all men, which finds expression in deeds of mercy? End of quote. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. What does Jesus mean when he says in Matthew 12:7, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? As you formulate your answer, consider these texts as well. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. And Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And Isaiah chapter 1 verses 11 to 17. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of doing of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And question two. Why, given the powerful evidence we have from Scripture, do you think that so many Christians, even many very faithful people who love Jesus, are so adamant in their rejection of the Sabbath? What are things that we could do, besides showing the evidence from the Bible, 
that perhaps could make these people more open to the Sabbath truth. Question 3. How do you keep the Sabbath? In what ways could you do more to get a deeper and richer experience from keeping the Sabbath? And question 4. Jesus said that, My yoke is easy and my burden light. Ask yourself a question. In what ways can I help lessen the burden and loosen the yoke of those around me? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Don't Wait. It's in a first-person account by William, a young man from Fiji, who shares a frightening experience that changed his life. And just let me know that just two weeks before the reading of this um, story to you, um, Fiji was devastated by the worst tornado, no, typhoon, or as we call them in the Southern Hemisphere, cyclones, that's ever been recorded in the Pacific Ocean. And thousands of people have lost their homes. The church has lost numerous churches and schools have been damaged. But let's listen at this point to the story from William. My dad paid for my brother and me to go to a Christian Youth Congress. I wasn't interested, but went to please Dad. One day I went home early, planning to return to the Congress later. That evening, something seemed wrong. I felt a lump of fear in my stomach and sensed that something bad was about to happen. On the way to the stadium, I felt light-headed. I began seeing strange things, but once at the Congress, I felt better. On the way home, my heart started beating hard. Suddenly a man appeared. His hair stuck out from his head and his eyes glowed red. Friend, he said, I need money to get... I mumbled that I had no money, then hurried home. I was sure I'd seen a demon. The next morning, I was terrified that the demon might return. I told my parents, and Dad read a passage from his Bible and prayed for me. Still, negative thoughts, fear and guilt paralysed me. I felt scared all the time. My family formed a circle around me and prayed. I began laughing out loud. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. I hoped things would return to normal, but they didn't. I knew people were praying for me, but it was only when I started to pray for my own deliverance that I started to feel a change. I had to ask God to save me from this evil. Sometimes all I could say was, God, help me, take out the evil inside me and give me strength to overcome. I knew I couldn't do it myself. After praying, I began to feel stronger. I started reading my Bible and praying regularly, claiming Psalm 56.13 as my own. My whole life is different now. I realize that God has been there all the time, but I hadn't taken His presence seriously. Now I'm careful to keep the avenue of my soul closed to evil and open only to God. I love going to Christian youth functions. Others have shared with me that they have gone through similar experiences. I want young people to know that now is the time to take God seriously. This is no time to play around with God or straddle the line between God and Satan. We must take our stand today. Tomorrow may be too late. Don't wait to get close to God. 
William was a student at the University of the South Pacific in Suva, Fiji, when this was written. This week's lesson has been read by Dr Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.